vaccine passports. How do they work? What are the limitations? And are they a good idea? Rachel Morgenstern from Jaspin Schlesinger joins us. I'm Lawrence Cluddy, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you're having a great day out there, wherever you might be. And yes, today we are talking about vaccine passports. But before we get to that, we need to thank our sponsor for keeping the lights on, NOTA. NOTA is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit TrustNOTA.com forward slash legal to learn more. That's NOTA spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, let's say hello to our guest. She's from the law firm of Jasmine Schlesinger. Welcome to the show, Rachel Morgenstern. Uh, Thank you, Lawrence. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And, you know, first question for you, how's your week going so far? Oh, it's been a great week. Thanks. Um, I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Excellent. You know, and so I've been reading the news uh, about these vaccine passports and and a lot of it's coming from uh, members of the press kind of floating ideas. And I did see an interesting legal blog debate between two lawyers that were talking about the pros and cons of some of these programs. And, you know, uh, right when the vaccine started to roll out, we did a show that asked the question, can the boss mandate the COVID-19 vaccine? I think a lot of the legal arguments for that are going to apply to this. But uh, you wrote a piece. uh, It was called New York announces vaccine passport intended to aid businesses in reopening. And it's about this Excelsior Pass. So I guess my my first question to you, Rachel, you know, tell us uh, just briefly about the Excelsior Pass. And then is this program actually in operation right now? Sure. Yeah. The Excelsior Pass is New York's way of showing that you've been vaccinated or tested, but uh, using a smartphone as an alternative to presenting one of those CDC vaccination cards or lab results. So you can get your own personal QR code by downloading this app and entering your information. And people without smartphones can also go to the state website and print the QR code out on paper. So if a business opts to accept this pass, they don't have to worry about excluding those without smartphones necessarily. And it is, it's available now and businesses screening for COVID vaccination or testing can can use it. Those business owners download a corresponding scanner onto their smartphones. And when they're presented with the QR code, they scan the code and they see only a green check mark or a red X. State guidelines would then say that the consumer should show a photo ID just to make sure that the person using the app is actually who they claim to be. So if it doesn't match, uh, yeah, the state actually recommends you deny entry at that point. Okay. Now, how is this whole program funded? I mean, obviously they're using an app, so there's been some amount of investment here, but uh, how is it being funded? Absolutely. There has been investment and it's been funded by the state and it's the really the first of its kind. My understanding is the state paid upwards of $2 million to get it up and running. Okay. Okay. There's uh, qualifications for this. They've got like several different uh, tiers or ways you can qualify for this. So as a person, what, what do you have to uh, show in order to be part of the program? There are three ways to qualify. The first thing is if you haven't tested positive for COVID-19 in the last 10 days and one of three things, you've been fully vaccinated in the state of New York and it's been like 14 days or longer since you've had your final shot. The second one is if you had one of the PCR tests in New York and had a negative result, but only in the last three days. The third is if you've had an antigen test uh, administered in New York, and that lasts only six hours, and the result had to be negative, of course. So if you meet all those requirements, you're, you're qualified for the Excelsior Pass. 
And as I understand it, depending on how you qualified for it, you have a different amount of time that you can hold on to the past. So like it's a different standard for vaccine. It's a different one for PCR. It's a different one for the antigen test. So can you can you build that out a little bit? Yes, that's that's absolutely right. The length of time the pass is valid depends on the reason you qualified. So the vaccination pass lasts the longest since it's valid for 180 days after it's downloaded. At that point, you simply have to download a new pass. The PCR test, though, will uh, last only until midnight on the third day after your test. And the antigen pass is valid for the least amount of time. It's only for six hours after the test. Okay, so if you want to go to a concert, you've got a very limited amount of time with the antigen test. That's right. How does uh, somebody that wants to uh, to get one of these passes, how do they show that? I mean, do they got to get that classic note from the doctor like you had to from uh, from high school? Right now, when you download the app, it will prompt you to enter some personal information. So you'll enter your name, your date of birth, your zip code, and where you were tested or vaccinated, and the type of test or vaccination that was administered. So at that point, your information, from what I understand, is verified through the app. The manner of verification is, is not something that's gone into detail at this point, at least available publicly on the, the state website. After that, your QR code appears and you can just begin using it to gain entrance into businesses that are using the pass. Oh, interesting. I bet there's a lot of people have questions about how that's verified, but uh, we'll leave it there for right now. So let's talk about what this pass allows you to do. And so, you know, I find this kind of interesting. You know, the sounds like New York is like, hey, we've got this pass to give you all of your rights back that you had before COVID. And so get very cautious with that. You know, these are rights that people have. But uh, in terms of you get the pass, you qualify for it, you follow all the steps, you do everything right. What are you allowed to do? Am I allowed if I'm in New York, rip my mask off, do everything I did before COVID? Actually, quite the opposite. The state guidelines specifically say that all the CDC protocols should remain even if you and everyone in the room showed an Excelsior pass. In fact, the state asked businesses to remind consumers to follow social distancing, wear face masks, take precautions with hygiene, regardless of the pass. So in that respect, everything remains the same. So what's the advantage? I mean, is there anything that you're allowed to do that you weren't allowed to do before? Well, at this point, the only real advantage from the consumer perspective would be that you wouldn't have to carry around your lab results or your CDC card to show that you've been vaccinated or tested negative. Some have said that the pass is harder to forge than its paper counterparts. So you would essentially have what's, as of now, like the best form of proof. But the question at this point isn't whether you have the Excelsior pass, it's, it's whether you have proof of vaccination or testing. So in that respect, there's not a huge advantage in using it. All right. I got a couple of legal questions for you. And so, you know, if a business out there, you know, they want to protect their interest. And, you know, obviously, since the pandemic began, there's sort of been this new uh, vector of liability. And we've talked about it a little bit on the show just because we closed down 15 days to flatten the curve. And then I knew right away when that happened that there was going to be some difficulties reopening. And so one of the difficulties is whether or not you're adequately insured or whether or not you're taking the proper precautions. But just because you reopen, just because you're doing everything right, doesn't mean that people cannot sue you. So related question, if a business actively employs this new technology to do this passport, they do everything right. Somebody still gets sick in there regardless. Are they still liable in a lawsuit potentially? Right. That's an interesting question. I think businesses wouldn't necessarily be using this pass to uh, avoid a lawsuit. The real advantage is that for event venues, stadiums, theaters, and the like, um, a digital pass might make entry simpler and faster. 
Also, the businesses might be allowed to fill more seats and admit more people if they use the pass, though that likely depends on the type of business or the event. But to your question, I mean, anyone can sue for anything. Whether that lawsuit will ultimately be successful is an entirely different matter. Okay. Okay. Now, what about the limitations? And so, you know, when we did our uh, previous podcast on this, and I'll put uh, notes for uh, in the show notes with the link to this show about uh, mandatory vaccines in the uh, in the workplace. There are some limitations to that. And my guess is there are going to be some of the same limitations here. So if you're at a venue, if you're at a business and you're using this uh, vaccine passport, you know, there's some people out there that might have some religious uh, objections. Are you going to be able to keep those people out because you're implementing this technology? Well, that comes down to the the type of business you're dealing with. Uh, if a private business is screening and and decides to accept the Excelsior Pass, that doesn't necessarily mean they have to reject other forms of proof, whether or not they allow uh, people in who do or do not have proof of vaccination would be up to the private business, much like it's up to the business to determine whether or not they allow people in with or without masks. The CDC vaccination card or lab results are still valid ways to show that you've been vaccinated, even if you're not using this particular passport. If the use of the Excelsior Pass becomes widespread, it may ultimately replace those counterparts. But since the pass itself can't be printed, that wouldn't necessarily be a huge leap. But ultimately, the the question you've asked is a matter of property rights and private businesses and, and what they choose to do. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. And so the country has a history of requiring vaccinations for students to go to public schools. Now, it's not uniform across the country. Different states and localities can do what they want to do there. But uh, there are some restrictions. And so there are some exceptions that have to be made. So similar question, if you have a religious objection or if you've got some type of allergy that makes you, um, I guess, sensitive to getting a vaccine, you know, what are the limitations there for, say, like a public school? Right. It's it's a difficult question. I mean, right now, there's no legislation expressly intended to allow the state to mandate use of a, a vaccine passport. And they haven't. This passport's voluntary. You know, that being said, the states generally have broad powers when it comes to public health, especially in times of crisis like this. And also, as you mentioned, the idea of a vaccine passport, so to speak, isn't isn't as foreign as it sounds when you when you phrase it that way. Uh, taking schools as the best example, many of which require proof of vaccination for students, with limited exceptions, of course, for religious beliefs and other reasons. The clearer point is that private businesses have the right to require the passport if they want, much like they have the right to require you to wear a mask. So, if use of the pass itself becomes widespread among private businesses, it may feel like the pass is mandated, even if the government hasn't issued a mandate. Okay. Last question for you. This is the loaded one. And so I'm going to set it up here just a little bit. And I don't share my opinion on the air too much, but I think in this case, it's okay. And so, you know, I'm going to get the vaccine. I support the vaccine and I want a lot of people to get the vaccine. You know, I think herd immunity is going to be a good thing for getting rid of COVID-19. But I'm also aware that there are some people out there that uh, have a religious faith and they cannot do this and also maintain their faith as well. And I'm also aware that, uh, you know, some people out there might be a little skeptical. It's a, it's a new vaccine. All these vaccines are new, these different ones. And so they might want to hold back a little bit, kind of see how everything plays out before they make that health decision, that personal health decision to get the vaccine. And then 
anecdotally, you know, I've talked with some coworkers and people I know across the country as, um, you know, the different age brackets come up for the vaccine and, you know, it didn't really seem to be set on any age, but some people got, you know, side effects, got pretty sick. Some people had no side effects. So I could see, you know, a busy professional, like a lawyer or somebody out there with a major business project saying, I want to get the vaccine, but I really can't afford any downtime. I may have to push this back till I get some vacation time. And so, I want people to be healthy. I want people to get the vaccine, but I'm also cognizant that there's some bona fide concerns out there. And so I think it makes for some tough policies. So here's my question. I set it up. It's loaded. Here it comes. If you were in charge for a day, got your magic wand and you can create the perfect policy, what does it look like when it comes to these vaccine passports? Oh, yeah. I know, loaded, right? that's, (laughs) That's way too much responsibility. I think I'd give up give up my power and retire to the Bahamas, to be honest. Uh, This is a really difficult subject. And I think a lot of how this progresses will will depend on how the public responds as, as the passport becomes more widespread. Fair enough. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you. Me too, Lawrence. I appreciate it. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to your favorite podcasting app and also brag about that fact because that's good for the show. And one more thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. That's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And lastly, but never leastly, thank you to our team producer, Molly McDonough and our LTN audio crew for keeping the wheels on. And trust me, sometimes that's really difficult to do around here. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 